We are in still the book of Acts, reading about the primitive church. And today's story, we've looked at part of this story a few weeks ago. This is Peter coming to Cornelius' house. And we'll begin reading there in chapter 10 in verse 30. And Cornelius said, four days ago about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once and now you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who hears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are all witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. The notion of Jewish salvation was settled. Everybody that knew anything about the Jewish people knew that they were descendants of Abraham. They knew that they worshiped the true and the living God. They knew that this God had offered to them salvation. He had given to them in a, in a unilateral covenant. He had committed himself to them to bless them to save them, to give them a land, to give them a great name, to make of them a great nation, that he would send his Messiah who would be the prince over their kingdom and that he would reign forever. So when the disciples stood declaring that Jesus of Nazareth was indeed that Messiah, the message was quite pointed and its application quite obvious. Jesus had come to save his people from their sins. He was their savior. Salvation was of the Jews. This was God dealing with his people. 
it became a little more unsettled after a few short years of preaching the gospel, not only in Jerusalem and in Judea, but in Samaria, and then to the outer post of the world. And it became obvious that the preaching of the gospel not only was saving the Jewish people, but the preaching of the gospel was saving Gentiles, God-fearers, proselytes, those that had come to know the God of Israel by coming to the synagogue and hearing the law and by participating in the various rituals at the temple in the court of the Gentiles. And now the notion of Gentile salvation, how are the Jews opening their hearts and how is the gospel open to the other nations? What were the other peoples of the world, the descendants of people other than Abraham, how were they to react to the gospel? What about the other nations? What about the other peoples of the world? Is salvation just for the Jews? A careful reading of the Old Testament seems to indicate that it was, that God had this special people marked out and they had to be descendants of Abraham, they had to be descendants of Jacob and they were Israel. And they were Israelites indeed and they had every possible advantage that you can ever imagine. They had the oracles of God. They had the historical call of Abraham. They were descendants of Jacob. They were Israelites. They had the tabernacle or the temple. They had the covenant, they had the law of God, they had the worship, that is the sacrifice and the prayers and all of the temple worship. They had the patriarchs, they had the whole long list of their godly fathers that had brought them to where they were over hundreds of years. They had a promises that God had made, sworn statements of things God said he would fulfill to them and to them belonged the Messiah. Those are the 10 things that Paul lists in the book of Romans. They're the advantage of being a Jew. But what about the other nations? What about the other nations? Is there any salvation for them? And if so, in what sense? How do they become saved? How do they come to a knowledge of the true God? The title of the message today is God is the author of World Missions. I love that title. And I'll tell you where, I don't know where the title comes from, but I'll tell you where the Lord first spoke the prophecy. You may want to mark this in your Bible because you're going to go back and scratch your head over this passage. Genesis chapter 9. <laughs> We're going to have a little fun today. I hope I'm not too pedantic and I hope I'm not too uh, tedious. Well, any more than usual. But we're going to have a little fun today because we're going to see some marvelous things out of God's Word. Genesis 9 and there in verse 26. The story here is, of course, Noah has survived the flood, has survived a very ugly incident in his life with his sons. And now he, like many of the patriarchal fathers, is pronouncing blessings and curses upon his sons and grandsons. 
And we won't go into any of the details of any of the other part. We'll just notice a couple of lines out of Noah's blessing. And then Noah said, blessed be the Lord. There is a benediction. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. Remember, Noah had three sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. But he says, God belongs to Shem. And then in the next verse 27, he says, may God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem. What does that mean? What in the world is Noah talking about? Here's what he's doing. He is showing in this passage, long before the call of Abraham, long before Jacob and Israel, that God intends to save the nations, the peoples. The very next chapter, chapter 10 of Genesis, gives us what's called the table of nations, and it shows us all of those who have descended from Ham and all those that have descended from Shem and all those that have descended from Japheth. Shows the whole array of the nations of the world that are to come, that are to be born. Generation after generation, the record is of how they came and how this lineage took place. You see, God was going to choose of the three sons, he was going to choose Shem to be his special people in some sense. And Shem was going to be the one, and his descendants would be the ones who would hold up the name of the Lord, who would praise the name of the Lord, who would make God the true God of all of heaven and earth, the creator God, the God eventually of one of Shem's descendants, that is Abraham. God would be identified by a person, the God of Abraham, his son Isaac, Isaac's son Jacob. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is a designation all throughout Holy Scripture of the one true and living God. But notice this, God didn't stop there. He says, may God enlarge Japheth. The descendants of Japheth were to become multiplied over the earth, the nations, uh, 70% of the world's population today is made up of descendants of Japheth. It says, may God enlarge. In fact, that's what the word Japheth means in the Hebrew. It means to enlarge, to expand, to extend, to make it bigger, wider, more vast in every way. May God enlarge Japheth. And I mean to tell you, the Lord has done that. What's the population of the earth today? Seven billion, something like that? May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem. How are the nations, how are the descendants of Japheth going to come to know the true God? Well, they're going to enter into a tabernacle. They're going to enter into a tent. They're going to come under the covering. They're going to come under the shelter of Shem and Shem's God. That's why when we look at world missions and we talk about all the different ways to salvation, we say, no, God from the very beginning said, God is going to be the God of Shem. 
And everybody of every tribe and every kindred and every nation that comes to know the Lord is going to come to know the Lord by coming into that tent, to coming into that family and dwelling in the tents of Shem. We come to the almighty true God, no matter what nationality we are, we come by way of Shem and his descendant, Abraham. Now let's get something straight, something that's difficult, I think, in our mind, and that's the word Gentile. Gentile. Uh, Gentile has a denotation, and its denotation is it means nations. It means ethnic groups. It means peoples. It has a connotation as well because of the use in the Scripture and the use historically. We think of Gentiles as outsiders. Gentiles as non-Jews, non-elect, outside the commonwealth of Israel, far off, aliens, strangers. And it even came to be thought in the Jewish community that they were vile, God-forsaken, unclean, untouchable, irredeemable. And that's the attitude that Peter had until the Lord showed him the vision. And then Peter comes to the stark conclusion, says, I understand that God shows no partiality. And we'll pick up that theme in just a moment with Paul. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Peter had to come to that real as God had to give him a vision a dramatic vision to be able to show him what was clean and what was unclean and how his attitude should be toward the Gentiles. But the word Gentile really means the nations. It, in the Hebrew, it's the goim. It's the nations, the peoples. In the Greek, it's the word ethnane, the ethnic groups, the peoples, the nations. And often in the Bible, the word Gentile will be put in there. And if we'll just put the word peoples or nations, or language groups, or people groups, if we'll substitute some modern notion of, of ethnic peoples of every race and every tongue and every color you can imagine, if we'll just think of that every time the word Gentile is used, it'll be quite helpful because that's the way we'll, we'll see it over in Scripture. What about the other peoples of the world? Well, we can see that God has them in mind from the very beginning. In fact, God is going to use Shem and his descendants and Abraham and his descendants to bless all the nations of the world. How will the other nations be saved at all? Because salvation is of the Jews. How can someone of some other ethnic group become a believer in God and be saved by, because the law and the prophets and the, the worship and the sacrifices and all that belong to the Jews. How is somebody from the other side of the planet centuries later, how can they be saved? What gospel can be preached to them? Because salvation is of the Jews. Here's your answer. All the peoples, all the ethnic groups, every tribe, every kindred, every tongue, every nation, all the peoples, anyone, everyone, 
any possible combination can become known by the true God, elect of the true God, by becoming a Jew. That's the only way you can be saved is become a Jew. But a true Jew, a true Jew, the Bible's very clear as to what a true Jew is. A true Jew is not the physical, literal descendants of Abraham. The Bible is clear on that. We'll look at a, passages in a moment that sort of begin to spell that out. All of the promises were made to Abraham. Everything comes through Abraham and Abraham's seed in a physical sense. No, Abraham had Ishmael, but it wasn't to Ishmael. It was to Isaac. Abraham married again after Sarah died and he had six sons by a woman by the name of Keturah. And these sons all grew up to become great nations. One of them was the Midianites that sold Joseph into slavery. And you know about the Midianites that attacked Gideon in the, whole, in the, in the Canaan land. All of these people were descended from Abraham in a physical sense. But it was not them. It was the promise. There was something spiritual about it from the very beginning. It was the promise God made that determined who was the Jew, who was the true seed. And the promise centered in Christ Himself. It was not Ishmael. It was not the sons of Keturah. It was not in any physical, literal sense from the very beginning as to who a Jew is. The true seed of Abraham and therefore heir of the promise, the beneficiaries of salvation, are all those who are in Christ by faith. Paul wrote much of our New Testament epistles. He wrote a first draft on salvation and this issue of salvation in the Jews. His first draft was Galatians. Then he wrote a full, more expanded final draft of the same issue. It's the book of Romans in the New Testament. But hear what Paul says in these two epistles as I read them for you. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that those of faith are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles or the nations by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abram saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. It's about a promise. It's about a blessing. The blessing, of course, is Jesus Christ. The scripture says, now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring 
who is Christ. Who's the seed of Abraham? Christ. Christ is the seed of Abraham. This was a matter of physical generation, to be sure, Christ in His humanity, but the notion of Him as the Savior and the promise and the fulfillment of everything that God said to Abraham is in Christ. And then at the last verse of chapter 3 in Galatians, she says, and if you are Christ, and how do you become Christ? By faith. If you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring and heirs according to the promise. Could it be more clear than that? Well, yes, it can. Because <laughs> Paul sort of lays it out. And I'm going to take us, as we conclude here, on a little stroll down the Roman road. And I want you to follow me. The first place where we'll pick up with it is in Romans chapter 2 and in verse 11. We're going to pick up the same, remember, remember what uh, Peter's lesson he, he learned from the, from the vision and the tent, and I mean the, the big sheep with all the unclean animals and so forth, that God shows no partiality. Or as the King James says, God is no respecter of persons. It's not about physical lineage. It's not about deserving. It's about God's grace and God's mercy. So Paul picks up with that same theme and says, for God shows no partiality. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. If I were a preacher, I'd preach this as a three-point sermon here, and here it is. A Jew is one inwardly, inwardly. It is a matter of the circumcision of the heart. You say, Ron, that's a New Testament idea. Yeah, it comes out of Deuteronomy chapter 10, where the Lord told the people through Moses, circumcise your heart. The circumcision was the sign of what? Faith. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. This whole thing from the very beginning has been nothing but faith about no one else but Christ. By the way, it's interesting here, it talks about the heart, about circumcision, by the spirit. How do you become a seed of Abraham and an heir of the promise? By new birth, by the being born of the spirit. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Jesus told Nicodemus, a proud Jew. Jesus said, it's not about the being born of the flesh. It's not who your daddy was, but it is who is your heavenly father. You must be born from above. You must be regenerated by the spirit of God. And so that's where becoming a Jew is. It's in the new birth. It's in the circumcision of the heart. The promises given in Jeremiah and Isaiah and all through the Old Testament was, I will put my spirit within you. So becoming a Jew is a matter of being born of the spirit of God, being born again. 
And then it's interesting, a little phrase here. He says, his praise is not from man, but from God. His praise. That's what the word Judah means, from which we get our word Jew. Judah was one of the sons, of course, of Jacob, of Israel. He became the dominant. He was the predicted royal tribe. The the king would come from the, the scepter would not depart from Judah. The king, the kingly um, uh, tribe, the royal tribe, Judah, Jews. It was the only kingdom as, a, as such that survived the Babylonian captivity. It had a few of the others from Benjamin and Levi and some of the others that hung on to them, but it was primarily the tribe of Judah that survived. It was the tribe that David came from. It's the tribe that Jesus came from. His praise is not from man. It's not a physical lineage, but it's from God. You want to be a Jew? You want to show praise to God? That's what the word Judah means. It means praise. Look it up back when he was born. His mother Leah praised. She praised the Lord when Judah was born. That's who a true Jew is. Let me just take you through a couple of other short verses. Chapter 4, what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Even back in chapter 1 of Romans, just as he's beginning his introduction, don't read past this phrase. He's talking about how Jesus was raised from the dead and declared to be the Son of God by power. He says, we have received grace to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. The salvation of the nations, the Gentiles, the ethnic groups, the peoples, all peoples without distinction come one way to God. They dwell in the tents of Shem by one way. They come to the true God one way, and that's through Christ Jesus. By becoming a true Jew, A seed and a child of Abraham being in Christ. They are Abraham's seed. Let me just read a couple of scriptures here. We're almost out of time here. but uh, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly. But circumcision is outward and physical. The Jew is one inwardly and circumcision is a matter of the heart. Faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace, may be guaranteed to all of his offspring, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I will make you the father of many nations. That was true physically, wasn't it? Abraham had Ishmael. He had 12 sons. 12 nations came from Israel. He had Isaac, Isaac, Jacob, 12 tribes, 12 peoples came from there, and then the sons of Keturah. But that was the physical fulfillment of the promise. The real and the spiritual fulfillment, the ultimate fulfillment of the promise is in the nations. And then just a couple of verses out of those passages that deal almost exclusively with this subject, and that's Romans 9, 10, and 11. I just want to read all three chapters, but we can't do that. But just listen to a handful of select verses. For not all are descended from Israel 
belong to Israel. Not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring, his physical offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise, Christ, the promised one who are counted as offspring. Even as whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles, from the nations, from the peoples. As indeed he says in Hosea, and there's that famous passage where he says, these people were once not my people. Lo, ami, not mine. Now they're called mine. There was a day when the Gentiles were not considered God's people. They were not part of the chosen, but now they are mine in the same place where they said, you are not my people, you are not my beloved, they will be called what? The sons of the living God. What shall we say then? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between the Jew and the Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And then finally, for God is consigned to all disobedience that he might have mercy on all. Jew, Gentile, Greek, male, uh, female, free, slave, doesn't matter your status in any regard, any strata, any status, any distinction, any discrimination that we may make are all disregarded in the sight of God. He sees us all as sinners. He sees us all as condemned. He sees us all as lost. He sees all of us as unfit. He sees all of us as unworthy. But then he sees Christ, the seed, the blessing, the one who took all of that unworthiness, all that filth, all that alienation, all of that sinfulness in his own body on the tree, paid the cost and came forth a new life born of the Spirit of God in resurrection. And by His Spirit, He imparts that to all of His people of all times and of all peoples. You want to know who a true Jew is? It's someone that does exactly what Abraham did. Believe God. Believe the promise. Trust in the offspring the true offspring, the true Israelite, Christ himself. Salvation is by faith. It is in Christ. It is for everyone to believe. Why won't you believe it? The prophet Ezekiel asked the question over and over as he tried to preach to an obstinate people. He said, why will you die, O Israel? Why will you die? 
Paul said that that was the gospel back in Deuteronomy, and that's the gospel today. It's near you. You don't have to go up into heaven to bring it down. Christ has already come down. You don't have to go into the depths to bring it up. Christ has already risen. You just believe it. That He has come in incarnation. He's been raised in resurrection. And He is your Savior. No matter what nation you come from. And this gospel that we preach in this little Presbyterian church here in Dallas, Texas is the same gospel that should be preached in Siberia and in Iraq and in Uzbekistan. It's the gospel for all people.